the series that we're in, you asked for it. Uh, let me give you the questions, the problem stated, if you will. Let me just dive in here. So the question is basically, what do you do when, there's a couple things here. Number one, what do you do when you feel like you've lost connection to God, where there's a wall between you and Him? Or what do you do if you feel distant and emotionless, no awe or gratefulness when singing or reading your Bible, no feelings at all? Now, I, the person who sent me this question, my immediate response was, these are great questions. Because I think if we're honest, if you've been a follower of Christ for more than 10 minutes, you will experience this at some point. I know I have. I know that there's times where I feel like God is completely distant. I know there's times where I feel like uh, I know I should be grateful. I know I should have emotion or gratefulness or joy, and it just isn't there. And so the question that's posed today is, what do we do in those situations? I mean, in, in the, the audience that we're talking to are believers, okay? And so this is, we're assuming that the person asking this question is a Christian. And I'm assuming that the, the, the people who I'm addressing today are Christians. And that's the basis that we're going we're gonna to build upon today. And so, because if you're not a Christian, then we have a different set of answers. If you're not a Christian, then the first thing is that you've got to repent of your sins and ask God to save you and become a child of Christ. That's, that's, that's the first thing. But for most of us in this room, we are uh, self-identified followers of Christ. We just saw that. Most people, I, I can see who did and who didn't, but most people came up to the table and identified as a follower of Christ. And so, um, this is exactly how we're going to frame or, or answer this question of if you're a follower of Christ and you have these questions, how is it that we should respond? Now, the problem solution means that it's probably, it's, it's not just one thing because we're complex people and we have complex problems and complex problems have complex solutions. And so there could be a lot of things here. There's a lot of different ways or areas that we could go to to address this problem or address this difficulty. But in a general way, I thought the best way for me to handle this today was to kind of answer this in a general way. And that is, Quite simply, we're asked to endure. That doesn't sound very hopeful. That doesn't sound very good. It's like, oh, man, I came for this question to be answered, and you're saying just, just, just deal with it, okay? It's like that, that old, you know, was it Bob Newhart? Was that what it is? It's like, you know, that counselor skit. Does anyone remember what I'm talking about? You know, you know just stop it. You know, that's, that was his advice. You know, counselor, the lady comes to him for help, and he's like, well, I can help you. Just stop it, you know? That's not what I'm saying here, okay? So I don't want you to hear that, but on some level, we are called to endure this life. So I'm going to pack that, what that means here in the next few minutes together. And so let me encourage you, if you're not already in Hebrews chapter 12, to turn there. This is page 1008, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there. In Hebrews chapter 12, we see this. I'm going to read the first 17 verses of the chapter. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's going back to chapter 11 that we read a little bit about earlier, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you all are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those whom have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will, be, it will, will see the Lord. See to it that no, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit a blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." That was the word of the living God. And that needs to frame our, guide, our thinking as we, as we wrestle with these difficult questions in life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you three quick points this morning is where we need to look if we're going to get through this life, if we're feeling distant, we're feeling disconnected from God, where should we be looking? First of all, we're going to talk about how we need to look around. Then we're going to talk about how we need to look inside. And then we're going to have to talk about how we need to look above. Okay? So first of all, in our time together this morning, let's talk about how this text guides us that we need to be looking around us. Now, I was going to say look back, but we're using a running metaphor here. Okay? That's what the author of Hebrews is. And we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but he's using this running metaphor here. And it's not always the best idea to be looking backwards when you're running, but the, the idea is true that we need to be looking around us if we're going to be running this race, and this is how we can run successfully for the cause of Jesus Christ. I, I told you before in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, therefore, which is connecting it to the previous chapter, and chapter divisions didn't come till later on, so they weren't uh, original to the text, but we see that it says, therefore, We've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so it's going back, it's drawing our attention back to chapter 11, where we have all those people, those great heroes of faith that we talked about earlier uh, in the scripture reading earlier in the service. 
And so what God is, is instructing us through the writer of Hebrews is he's saying that you need to, in those moments of discouragement, okay, and if you're going to run with endurance, this is how you do it. The, the main verb here is to run with endurance, and then it tells us how is with endurance, so also is that we need to uh, uh, be looking around because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, this means that the people who have gone on before us, as I told you, this great cloud of witnesses, and we can talk about it in chapter 11, and we have just two great theological giants in this chapter here. And we can look at them. I mean, we already read about Abraham and Sarah, and we read about Noah, and we read about uh, Jacob, I think, or maybe not, didn't quite get to Jacob, but we talk about there's Jacob, and there's Joseph, and there's Moses in there. We have people that in uh, verse 32, and he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And it says, And through who faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weaknesses, and became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Other than that, they were pretty good, okay? I mean, these are people that are just giants here. Women, verse 35, received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. These are giants. But I want you to look closer. Not only do we see giants in chapter 11, but we see giants who faltered. I mean, you look, and just about every person here, we also have an account, not just of their spiritual successes, but we also see in the accounts of Scripture how that they had lapses as well, and they went through difficult times as well. David is listed there in verse 32, I think it was. And David there, if we read Psalm 40, and we see how that he was in a pit the Bible says. We read through in the rest of Psalms about the sons of Korah, and we see how that they were uh, 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 in deep distress. I think of Psalm 88. I think of Psalm 42. You know, why? Psalm 42 says, why are you cast down within me, O my soul? Hope in God. Why are you so cast down? Twice in Psalm 42, the sons of Korah record that for us. Remember Elijah. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal had this great spiritual success. And then right after that, Jezebel comes gunning for him. Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill that prophet. And what does Elijah do? He goes into deep depression and discouragement. And we go through, Abraham, we see how he was listed as a spiritual giant here, but we know he lied about who his wife was. And we know that he uh, uh, and his wife at first wouldn't believe, particularly Sarah, would not believe at first, but then she did. Noah, after the ark, after coming out of the ark, became drunk. And we can go on and on. Samson is listed in the great hall of faith here. And we know his problems that he had. And so my point in bringing this up is as we're looking around, it says the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, it says, listen, you need to run with endurance. And one of the ways you need to do this is you need to look at and, and, and find inspiration for the people who have run on before you. You need to look around and you need to see that who these people are. And yes, they're spiritual giants, but they also had lapses. They also had difficult times. And so my, my encouragement to you is if you're trying to follow Christ, you're trying to run hard, you're trying to 
uh, believe in God. You need to look to these other servants of, of Jesus Christ and of God the Father and say, okay, they were kept by the power of God, not by their perfection. Remember in the Gospel of uh, Mark, I think it is Mark 9, remember there was a man and he had a son. His son had a, was possessed by a demon. He, the son would convulse and he would do things. He would, this demon actually tried to, to harm the son through fire and cutting, things like this. Terrible situation. Jesus was up on the mountain, transfiguration. The disciples, this man brings his son to the disciples of Jesus and says, can you help me out here? And they're like, yeah, no problem. We got this. And they're trying to cast this demon out of this boy, and it's not happening. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. And the man comes to Jesus, and he says, he says can, you, can you help me? Can you help my son? I love my son more than my next breath, and he is possessed by this demon. I can't bear to see it any longer. I need you to help my son, Jesus. The disciples, your disciples tried, and they couldn't do it. Can you please help me? And Jesus basically says, yeah, I can help you if you believe. You remember this man? He says, I believe. I believe. And then right after that, what does he say? Help my unbelief. I love that because that describes me so many times as God. I believe you. I believe that you can do this. I believe that you're powerful. But then I am convicted of my own unbelief. And immediately I'm like, God, help my unbelief here. This is what I think that we need to be looking around to. That in those moments in our spiritual pilgrimage, every one of us goes through these times where God feels distant, and that can be for a variety of reasons, and we can get into some of that later on, but the point is, is that there's times where we just have to run, and we have to keep going, understanding, understanding that feelings aren't always there. Feelings often follow faith. And so what we're told in this, in this text here, it says, run with endurance. And this is what my encouragement is to all of us here today, is that we need to understand that this Christian life is hard. God has designed it so that it is difficult and that we are struggling against so many different things, but we are called to run with endurance. And endurance is kind of a theme here. It appears in the first three verses, one, at least one time in the first three verses of this, we see that we are to run with endurance. We're to look to Jesus who endured the cross, and we are to uh, uh, see that they ran with endurance. We're going to see that... Um, then we need to consider that Jesus endured such hostility. And so we see in the first three verses of this chapter here, this idea of endurance coming, and this is what Jesus is telling us to do. But not only do we need to look around to the people who ran before us, but I also say, look around to the people who are running with you today. This would be my pastoral encouragement to you. Look around this room. And see that there are people who are struggling in the pilgrimage just like you are. Okay, we all have problems that we're dealing with. I mentioned in Sunday school today that um, every person you meet is dealing with a problem that you know nothing about. We are all struggling, and so we need to find encouragement from that. And the point is, is that because sometimes we feel alone, we feel like we're the only ones, and we feel like everyone else has got it together, and the reality is that that's just not the case. And so I want you to look around the room. I want you to look and see these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are striving to run with endurance just as well. This is the reason why the church is so important is because we need to be with one another and we need to encourage one another as we're all striving to run with endurance. But look up at the stage here and see someone who is also running with endurance or trying to run with endurance and struggling just like you guys are. And so there is nobody 
As a follower of Christ, it doesn't struggle with this. And so I would encourage you with that. I would encourage you that this is something that God has called us to. And for whatever reason, we can get into all the reasons. But for whatever reason, this life is hard. And so what he has asked us to do is run with endurance. And I think part of it is so that we can understand more what Jesus went through. This is the reason why we move from run with endurance in verse 1 to verse 2 and verse 3 talking about Jesus' endurance. And so that you get a better glimpse of what Jesus went through. You get a better glimpse of how important and how powerful your salvation is. When you have to struggle with this Christian life, you understand what it was that Jesus actually accomplished. Because in order for you to have salvation, we would have had to been born on our own. We would have had been born sinless and then keep a sinless life. And we could never have done that. But Jesus was, and he did that. And he endured. And so the fact that we struggle should point us to the fact that Jesus did it. And we can find hope in him. It removes the attention from ourselves up to Jesus Christ, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes. And so I would say look around. So look around is one of the first things that we need to do. And let me tell you, I'm going to bring back to the Lord's Supper here in each of our points today because we had the Lord's Supper today. But this is the benefit of the Lord's Supper. We get a visual reminder of how we all need grace when we all came to the table. I love that. I love that symbolism of everyone coming up to the table. We're all meeting at the table, and we all need grace. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need God to help us in this pilgrimage. We all need Christ. And every person here needs to strive to run with endurance. None of us have it nailed down, and you can just go on. So we need to look around, but we also need to look inside. It says here in the text, it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Okay, and so this is uh, the way it's written. It's, it's, it's in a, a, an imperative command uh, type way, even though it's not, because it's related to this idea of running with endurance. And so we are to, to, in order to run with endurance, we have to lay aside every weight, first of all, it says. Now, there's a couple different schools of thought on laying aside the weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. Um, both are plausible. Uh, one school of thought is that they're two distinct things. Uh, one is that it's, uh, the weight doesn't necessarily have to be a sin. It can just be something that's distracting or something that uh, hinders us from our progress in our spiritual pilgrimage. The other school of thought is that no, uh, the sin was, does so easily beset us I memorized this verse in King James many years ago, so it keeps coming back to my mind that way. But the, uh, um, the sin that clings so closely to us as the ESV has, that that's just a further clarification of the weight. Uh, both are plausible linguistically. Both are plausible application-wise and contextually. However, I think it personally it makes more sense. Uh, I think there's a little bit more weight given to the first, and that is that this is the idea that the weight doesn't have to be necessarily a sinful activity, but it is something that's not helpful to us. And I think this, the fact that it says every weight, it just gives this idea of this ambiguous, meaning it's different for every person. And so I, I, as I'm looking at this, I, I don't think that weights necessarily have to be sinful activities. I think it could be physical, rest, our diet. All these things affect us more than we realize. Uh, God has designed us to be psychosomatic in the sense that our bodies and our minds are connected. Okay? And people actually get physically sick when they're going through tremendous mental stress. And the reason why is because mind and body are connected according to God's design. 
And so I think that the problems that we face, the discouragement, the times that God may feel distant and alone and things like that, or, or aloof, and, and we may feel like there's no emotion and everything, that could be, that could be partly, I'm not saying it's always the case, but it could be related somewhat to how much rest we received or, or our diet or other physical things. I, I'm not a medical doctor. Don't pretend to be one. Don't give medical advice. But I do know that God has designed us to rest. And I'm terrible at it. I'm trying to get better at it. But I know from personal experience that when I don't get rest, my spiritual life suffers. Think about it. When you don't get enough sleep, you're much more tempted to get irritated with someone, right? Well, that's a spiritual thing. Patience, long-suffering, we don't have it any longer because we don't get enough sleep. And so that could be one thing. I'm not saying that's always the case. I'm just saying that might be an example of a weight here. I think I mentioned Elijah earlier in his depression. I think that was the main thing. I think from the text, I can see that he was just mainly exhausted. Not saying that's the only thing. Again, go back to what I said in the beginning, complex problems, complex solutions. And so it's it's like a big blender. These things are all mixed together. So I'm not saying it's the only thing. But I think with Elijah, the primary problem with him was he was exhausted. That was an exhausting ordeal that he just went through. Now, the reason why I think it was primarily exhausting was because of the way the angel and the way the God ministered to him. He said, you need to eat and you need to sleep. He didn't rebuke him. He said, you need to sleep, you need to eat. That tells me it was primarily a physical issue. But it tells me that the physical is connected to the spiritual as well. And so if you're struggling with feeling that God is so far away or you have no desire, you're impatient or things like that, that might be something you want to look at. Now, furthermore, what could be a weight for some person may not be a weight for other people in the pilgrimage. Earlier in the chapter, I don't know that we read it in chapter 11, but we, read about Mo, we could read about Moses, and it says this, that he considered, uh, well, he says, but faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to a reward. By faith, he left Egypt. So we see with Moses that he says, my time in Egypt is not going to be the best thing. I need to follow God's plan, and that was out of Egypt. But then we read about Joseph. And Joseph's plan, according to God, was to be in Egypt. And so Egypt necessarily wasn't the weight necessarily for both people, but if Moses would have stayed there, it would have been. And if Joseph wouldn't have gone, that would have been a a spiritual hindrance. And so they don't always have to be the same for everyone. But the main, the, the thing that's clear, that's abundantly clear, is not just laying aside the weight, but when it says, and the sin which clings so closely. So we need to remove that. And this could be a unique sin that we struggle with, or it could be a general sin. And both are equally plausible. I think in the context, probably it's generally speaking to unbelief but it may have specific ramifications that you struggle with a sin that I don't struggle with and I struggle with sins that you don't struggle with. And so when we look at this and the whole idea is to say, hey, okay, God seems distant, God seems away, and God seems far away, and I don't have any emotion, and it just, I don't know what to do here. And we come to this text and we're saying that running with endurance is the answer to it. And one of the things is we got to look around us to get inspiration and understand that we're not alone in this battle. And then we need to look inside and say, what is it in my life that may be hindering my spiritual running, my, my spiritual race here? Maybe it's just these weights, I just need to adjust some schedule, things like that, because it's weighing me down. Or maybe, maybe it's sin in your life. 
Maybe there's something that you have to confess because you know, we will always be, if we're a believer in Christ, we will always be accepted by God because Jesus makes the acceptance. But there are times where we don't have God's approval on our life if we're sinning against him. It doesn't affect the acceptance, but it does affect our fellowship with him. And so maybe that's something you need to look at. And I know that this text deals with sin. Later on, it talks about striving for peace with everyone in verse 14. It talks about no root of bitterness as well. So this idea of putting aside sin. And we cannot forget about the spiritual war that we are engaged in. And so my advice is to you, if you're struggling with this, you're thinking about this, is you need to look inside. You need to say, okay, are there things in my life? Is, am I staying up too late? Is it, am, I, am I allowing too much activity, these weights that may not be necessarily um, uh, sinful themselves? Maybe there's a friend in my life that is just not helping me. Maybe that there's uh, uh, things I'm, I'm letting my mind consume that's a weight. I need to move that off. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that there's actual sin that you just haven't confessed that, and that would help you. You need to go through this and think through that. But again, I come back to the Lord's Supper and I see that this is a built-in time for heart examination, reflection, and introspection that leads our heart back to Christ. And this is the reason why the Lord's Supper is so important is because when we're struggling with these feelings, these feelings of disconnect, the table then helps us remember what keeps us connected because it's not our performance that keeps us connected to God. It's Jesus' work on the cross. And so this reminds us of that. And so we find encouragement there. But most importantly, there's one other place we need to look at as we need to look above. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author or founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised and shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the most important place to look. We've got to look above. We've got to look above to Jesus, to Christ, because he endured that's the very thing he's asking us to do, right? He's asking us to run this race with endurance. And the writer of Hebrews very quickly points out that this is what Jesus did. Jesus endured for us. And so he points this out right to us to say, look, Jesus is telling you to run with endurance because he's done this. And, he, and if we follow him, and then we can, we can do this in his strength and in his power and through his forgiveness and the forgiveness of God that is made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. As you notice, it says there, who for the joy that was set before him, he never took his eyes off the goal of his life. He never took his eyes off the purpose of his life. If you study, if you trace Jesus' earthly life when he was here through the gospel, many times he says, I'm here to do my father's business. He says, and he, and he put himself last, and he put himself aside, but he says, I'm here to do the Father's will. Remember in John chapter 4, we see this with this conversation with the, the, the lady, the Samaritan woman at the well, and then the townspeople when they came in. He says, he says, look, my whole reason for existence is to do the will of the Father who sent me. He never took his eyes off the prize. In John chapter 17, if you read that, it's a beautiful text of Scripture, how we see that there's this high priestly prayer. Towards the end of Jesus' life, his earthly life, he's praying to the Father, and we have it recorded for us, and we can read it, and we can be encouraged by it, because we see in that text, John chapter 17, we see there, we see, we see Jesus talking to the Father and saying, God, every person you gave me, I saved except one. And he's talking about Judas there, which is part of the plan from the before the foundations of the earth. But he says, what you've given to me, I'm giving back to you. He says, I've, I've done what you've asked me to do. He says, I've finished the work which you've called me to do. Now glorify me. He says, I've done it. 
And so he did it with endurance. And so we looked at Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus was longing for another life. He was longing for perfecting what God's plan was. He was the perfecter of our faith, the founder of our faith. So I guess my question is, as we're struggling through this life, is are we longing for heaven? I think sometimes God reveals and brings into our lives a sense of disconnect so that we don't get too comfortable with this life. My wife and I were talking about this the other day. I think it was last night. I can't remember. And about some of the reasons why this world is difficult. And I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do understand this, is that too many times I get too comfortable and content with this world. And then I have to be reminded of how terrible this world is. And usually that involves some pain. That usually involves some suffering. And I say, but God, Jesus, you need to come back. And so... I think particularly this is something we struggle with in our culture here, more so than probably other cultures who don't have it as easy as we do in some ways. And so if you're struggling today, if you're struggling with, is God real or, or am I connected to God or, or I just don't feel like I'm, I'm in sync with him, that could be actually an encouraging sign that you're longing for it and that, he, and that he's saying, see, something's not right here. Something's not right I think it was C.S. Lewis who wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And then Philip Yancey and a a co-author, his name's escaping me right now, but uh, wrote another book called The Gift of Pain. It's a beautiful book, and C.S. Lewis's point is absolutely true, and I I do not disagree with him at all in his thesis of his book, but I I love the switch of the title, though, is that in Yancey and his point, what he was saying is that pain is actually a gift, because it tells us that there's something wrong and we deal with it. If we had no pain, we would just continue on our merry way. And so maybe the discomfort that you're feeling right now because you feel like God's so far away, maybe that's the best gift God's given to you so that you can run back to the cross. So you can run to the table and say, Jesus, I need you. I don't want to be content in my own life anymore. This is what Jesus does. He gives us things that we need and they're good gifts. So we need to look above, look to Christ because he endured. Don't lose the sight for the joy that is set before you. You know, what we have is just an appetizer in this life, but the world to come is far better. And what God is saying sometimes, he's saying, don't get too comfortable with the appetizer. Don't fill up on the appetizer. The main course and dessert is so much better. So look forward to that. And sometimes we need the discomfort of this world. It says that Jesus endured hostility He's asking us to run with a community here, but he himself did it largely alone. He endured so much hostility, much more than you and I have ever experienced and ever will experience. But he endured. And he's saying that you just linked with me and I will endure with you. I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus said. This is my, my advice to you. But we also need to look up to the Father. We, as I read earlier, it talks about how the Father, he disciplines us. He treats us as sons. He's treating you like a son. So if there is some discipline in your life, if there is some uncomfort, and when God kind of gently corrects us, he's treating you like a son because he loves you and he cares for you. 
And it's for your good. It says that he disciplines us. This is verse 10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So the reason why you're struggling at times, the reason why that you're going through this life, you're saying, why are you so distant? I want, I, I want you, God. I want to be near you. That is a correction that he's saying that maybe your life is going a different uh, a path for a little time being. He's saying, no, come back. Desire the better things. Desire this because I want to give you. You're going to share my holiness. It's a beautiful thing. Amazing concept. He does this for our good. Verse 12 then comes in our text, and he says, therefore. So everything we've just talked about, this is the reason why I believe this passage is, in, is, is appropriate for the question that was raised this morning. Because it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. How many times have we felt that we have drooping hands and weak knees. It's like, I can't go another step in this race. I can't go on. But therefore, we can lift our hands, we can strengthen our knees, and we can run forward because we can look to Jesus. We can look to the other people who have, who have bearing testimony that faith in God will carry us to the eternal reward. We can look inside of ourselves and we can say, hey, there's some problems here that we need to adjust so that, that way there we are more in line with Christ, but our hope is not in our obedience. Our hope is in Christ. And again, the Lord's Supper reminds us both of the endurance of Christ and the love of the Father here. Jesus Christ endured to the end, and so he, what we're celebrating here is the fact that Jesus did endure. He did not stop short. He did not, on the last leg of the race, say, I can't do this anymore and sit down. He finished the course, and so we can as well. And the love of the Father's on display here as well, that he has made us, uh, given us forgiveness and that we can be accepted into his family. So let me conclude. I, I, have, I have six bullet points. I'm just going to throw up on the screen. We're not going to talk long about them. So that when I say six points, don't freak out right now, okay? So let me give you some practical suggestions. First is this. Don't be surprised that you struggle. Everyone struggles. So that would be my first advice to you as you're struggling through this, is don't be surprised that you struggle. We've seen that in this text, we have people who, while they are remembered for their faith, if we do any type of digging at all in their life, we know that they struggled as well. So don't be surprised that you struggled. You're in good company. We all struggle. One of the tactics of the enemy is to make you feel like you're the only one that's struggling. Don't believe the lie, okay? It's normal for you at times and for me at times to feel closer to God than other times, and it's a way of God drawing us and strengthening us and increasing our faith. Greater people than you and me have struggled. I, I don't know if, how many of you, I looked at it, it's not in our hymn book. There's, there's an old hymn, Isaac Watts wrote it, and it's called, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Anyone know that one? Okay, a few of you do. Okay. It's not in our hymn book, but I, I just, I love, I love these words. I'm not going to sing it, okay, for which you can praise Jesus, okay, but I will read it to you. Am I a soldier of the cross? a follower of the Lamb. And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Why should I, why should I have an easy life when so many other people have it? And God has given us an easy life overall. Why should we demand that? Are there no foes for me to face? 
Must I not stem the flood? In this vile world of friends, is this vile world a friend to grace to help me unto God? I love Isaac Watts there. He's saying, why would I expect that the world would help me to God? It's anti-God. So I'm dealing, I live in this world. There's going to be things that are going to be constantly pulling me away from God. And I'm living in this tension whether I realize it or not. Since I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Beautiful hymn. Because this describes where we're at. So I would say, don't be surprised that you struggle. The second thing is I would encourage you is be encouraged that you are struggling, (laughs) that you're actually aware of the problem. That is one of the first things that you can be encouraged by is the fact that you understand that there is something you should be working on. That's a grace gift from the Lord. It's a sign that the Spirit of God is at work in your life, so rejoice in that. Number three, I would say be honest with God. This goes back to that man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I would be honest with God in my prayers and say, God, you feel so distant from me. Let me, let me give you a little insight. There's, there's plenty of times where I'm in that office over there and I'm on my knees or I'm at my desk and I have the book of the Bible open to me, the Bible's open to me, and I look up at God and I say, God, your word is like a stone to me right now. I'm looking at it and there's nothing there. God, I, I know I should be talking to you right now. I don't want to. And I'm ashamed of this, God. Please forgive me. Give me a desire. I can't tell you how many prayers I start that way. But you know what I tell you what happens almost all the time? Is as I pray, God inclines my heart towards him. So I'm honest with God. And I would encourage you the same. Just be honest with him. A little newsflash. He knows your heart anyway. You're not fooling him, okay? So just tell him you seem so far away. Help me, God. Number four my, is don't confuse justification with sanctification. I don't have time to unpack all this. All I'm going to say with this is that justification is our legal standing before God that is accomplished only through the cross of Jesus Christ. We cannot do anything for our justification. Sanctification is our growth in Christ. And we do have to obey to progress in that. But the problem comes is when we confuse those two. And we say, wait a minute here, I must not be accepted by God because I'm having these doubts right now. And we go into a spiral. No, 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 no. You're always accepted by God. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. That's justification. Sanctification, that's where you're at in these struggles. And just understand that that's not affecting your standing with God in terms of your relationship to him, in terms of being accepted by him. Now, you need to strive for his approval, but not his acceptance. That's confusing justification and sanctification. More I could talk about that, but I need to move on. Number five, remember that worship has many different emotions. I would say this as well. Um, we talk about how, you know, I just want to be so grateful. I want to rejoice, and, you know, I want to have tears and all this of just joy and everything. And that's wonderful, but that is only one form of worship. And that's one of the things I, I, I really lament about many of the songs that particularly is aimed to youth in our culture, in Christian culture, is that there's only one emotion. And that is, everything's got to be great, everything's got to be celebratory, everything's wonderful. And let me tell you, there is plenty to celebrate in Jesus Christ, so don't misunderstand me. However, the publican who said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, that prayer was just as worshipful as plenty of other prayers. 
And so there are times that even in our singing, there are times in our prayers before God when we say, God, I don't desire you, but I want to desire you. That is worship, okay? And so don't, don't, don't be, don't, don't, you just, just understand there's many facets of emotion that is actually worshiping God. Prayers of repentance and crying out to God in distress are worship. And lastly, I would say this, make use of the means of grace given to you as the church Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking Bread, and Prayers, Acts 2.42. These are all means of grace given to us so that we can grow in Christ. Personal Bible reading and prayer. And I would say that you need to make use of those means, especially when you don't feel like it. Because a lot of times we fall into the trap where we say, well, I don't feel like reading my Bible, and so I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm not going to read my Bible right now. Guess what? You've just played into the hand of the enemy. I don't feel like praying right now, and so I'm not going to pray right now. I'm going to pray when I feel like praying, because then this can be true, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Guess what? You've just played into the hand of the enemy. It's in the moments when we least desire it the most that we need it the most. And I would just submit to make you remember the prodigal son and how he, the father ran and met him in there. Our time is gone, and so these are some practical suggestions that I give you as you wrestle through this Christian life. But let me tell you this. Run with endurance. You and I, we can run with endurance, not because of, of our performance is what's going to make us get to heaven. It's because Jesus Christ has already made the way possible for us. And so we can rejoice in him. And we can run with endurance in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that's a help to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to think through these difficult questions of what do we do when we don't desire you? And I'm ashamed of that because of... Uh, of anything, you should be the thing I desire most. But man, when I read that question, Father, you know it went through my mind and went through my heart when those questions appeared on my screen. When I opened the email, I thought, I have struggled with the exact same thing. And this is what we need to talk about first. So I appreciate the question. I appreciate the courage that it took to send that email. And I pray that this time would have been a help, not just to the person who sent it to me, but to all of us who have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and our elder brother who makes all things possible. And it's the name of him. And we ascribe all glory, majesty, and honor forever and ever, we pray. Amen.